Nice. I'm Father Peter. I'm Scott Powell. And we are the Word on the Hill. Well, actually, we're the Lanky Guys, and this is the Word on the Hill. Dude, I cannot get that it's right. Hard. Every week, it's really it's hard. Like, I either get the one thing and then the other thing. It's just, it's just crazy. There's a lot of things to get or not get. Yep. Dude, I'm I'm uh, half on the hill. To, we're half on the hill today. Well, actually, we're kind of both on hills, but they're different hills. Just different hills. But the same word. The same word. Yeah, you're on the hill. I'm on a hill. And we are really happy that you joined us we're today. We're totally That's happy awesome. you joined us. What are you kidding me? Come on in. Get some coffee. Come on. Have a seat. Get some coffee or a beer or something else. As long as you're of age. Like a big piece of chicken. Yeah, I wish I had a big piece. Uh, Father Peter's on Skype eating a big piece of chicken. I and and I I forgot to get a knife until we <laughs> but we have a, a time limit today. Yeah. And uh, I, so I just ate it with a fork. It was kind of caveman like, but all those people who are on paleo diets, they're like loving yeah, it. Yeah, they are. You know, I take my shoes off and I eat like chicken with a fork, dude. Did taking your shoes off have something to do? Oh yeah, is that part of the paleo deal though, or is that a different? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're supposed to like you're supposed to just like go like a caveman, and they didn't like so it's better than like not wear shoes or anything. It's called earthing. Have you heard of earthing, or is that what it's called? No, it's 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 probably not directly paleo, but there's this Annie knows this guy who has got this big thing about earthing. He never wears shoes because of the energy like in the earth, and so your shoes cut you off from that. It sounds super creepy <laughs> and new agey, but there's probably some truth in it. The yeah, closer dude, I, you are I mean, to like, real it's stuff. good to be connected to the earth. Yeah, and I'll take it. Like, there's good things in the soil, except for, dude, I went down to Florida for like the last week, as you guys know well, very well. And there are these bugs called noceums. Called and, what? Dude, I was earthing. Noceums? They're called noceum. That's like oh, noceums. They, like, no, like no see them. Um, yeah. I got it. And uh, and so what happened is that you you uh, you get these like terrible bug bites that last really a long time, but you never see the bugs. Oh. Hence the name. So my legs were just yeah, just covered. Hence the noceum. Oh, that's terrible. That's they were covered in it. Oh, covered, just like just gnarly. And I guess they're in the gnat family. Dude, beach bugs are the worst, in my opinion. Oh, they're the worst of all agreed. the bugs. On Annie and my honeymoon, we backpacked through Belize, and um, one morning we we decided to spend the night on the beach in this place, and it was a beautiful night, beautiful sunset. And we woke up. And it was just hot and sweaty and sticky, and we were just covered in gnats. And it was the worst. Oh. I just had to throw myself in the ocean to try to get the gnats off me. Oh. Dude, beach bugs. And I hear that even when you're sailing, what will happen is that you're you're going along, and you're out in the middle of the waters, and they'll just have full bug attacks, huge swarms in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> really? That sounds terrible. Yeah, just looking for... Yeah, oh. something, they're, they're just looking like someplace to land because they can't land in the water. And it's awful. That's awful to me. It makes it makes me want to not jet ski across the Atlantic. Did you jet ski across the Atlantic? No, but I kind of want to. Did you con- conquer your fear of the water? I did. I did. I got out on the water and I didn't think of the Kraken once. Oh, the Kraken. I forgot about the fear of the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get you. Yeah, no, no, no appearance. I, I, I kept on seeing dolphin fins, but I would like, and then I would be like, "That's a shark," and I'm like, "No, it's a dolphin." And then everybody like, "It's a dolphin." Like all these people deceiving themselves about the truth of the nature of <laughs> the salt water. I have seen. So I'm up at Camp Voitio right now, recording from here. We have seen three bears on the property, and it. How do you bear it? Oh, <laughs> nice work. Yeah, 
I might. Thanks. Do you, do you guys have like bear spray and stuff? We do. We have bear protocol, and they haven't come near us. But I've just never seen bears up in this area before. And I everybody I convinced themselves there. that we they were dolphins. So they were wearing <laughs> fins. You're like, you should just te- you should just tell the campers those are Ewoks, <laughs> really big ones. It's Chewbacca. That's all that is. <laughs> Wait, is that Chewbacca? Just, just keep. The, yeah, that's Chewbacca. Just keep attentive for Han Solo. <laughs> I'm doing my best, man. All right, we should get into this business, dude. We. Yeah, we got business because, like, guess what, everybody? We're super happy that you're here, and we got exciting things to talk about today on the 10th Sunday of Ordinary Time. 10th Sunday. Did we ever figure out how the Sundays of Ordinary Time work? No. Because I was kind of struggling with it. Yeah, they skipped some. Yeah, didn't they? Because when, so when the year, the liturgical year starts at Christmas, starts at the beginning of Advent, right? Yep. And we have not had 10 ordinary, well, maybe we have. No, I think we missed like three because like the the last one that's on our the last one that's on our website, which lankyguys.org, If you guys ever want to have an alternate method to get to our podcast, mm. um, ordinary time we had first Sunday, third Sunday. Well, actually, it was second Sunday. So it, was, it goes first Sunday. If first Sunday oh, of ordinary right, time right. is feast of the baptism, then you got uh, the uh, second Sunday, third Sunday, fourth Sunday. So fifth Sunday is Holy Trinity. Sixth Sunday is Corpus Christi. Yep. And then we just jumped to ninth Sunday. See, that's weird. Why does and, it happen? And, oh, I don't know. And so, so this is tenth Sunday. So, so the fifth and the sixth should be Corpus Christi. But we just so we skipped three Sundays of the, of of the ordinal time because the ordinal number means first, second, third, fourth, fifth, not one, two, three, four, five. So, the ordinary time comes from that, not just that it's boring. <laughs> ordinary <laughs> time. This is just ordinary just time. Ordinary. This, this time is just like, it's not extraordinary like the other times. Mm, how, sad. how sad. How so, sad. Yeah, so right. we're here, here we and we got some, we've been widowed this week is really the we've truth. We've totally been widowed, man. Why have we been widowed? Well, both of the, the, the bookend readings, the first reading in the gospel are about widows and death. So happy Sunday, everybody. Happy Sunday. Widows and death. Well, the first yeah. reading comes from the book of First Kings, everybody's favorite book. No, actually, fir- it's the sport of kings. Better than, better diamond, than diamond rings. rings. First, kings. First, kings. first Kings. So first that's from <laughs> Wildcats. Don't watch that movie from the eighties, but it's a good movie. That's from like Wildcats. Wow, that's a you pulled deep for that. Yeah, dude, Goldie Hawn, man, takes over a f- inner city football team, and hilarity. Hilari- ensues. I was just about to say hilarity ensues. <laughs> Dude, we know each other well. You have no idea how many times I've used the word raw up in staff training up here this week. <laughs> All because of you, man. And it's good. So well the the paleo people appreciate it because that's they like, what they like. They like to eat raw things. Well they can eat can't they eat like cooked meat and stuff? Yeah, they can eat cooked Oh, they don't meat, have to but, eat but raw. They prefer everything else raw. That makes sense. That's supposedly the most nutrients. Yep. Okay. okay. First so, Kings. So, um, so we got we got this. Some, we got some widowed stuff. Back, <coughs> well, back, First back, Kings back. is great. I love First. I love this particular part of First Kings. This is the story of Elijah, or we're we're right in the middle of the story of Elijah. And the story of Elijah is great. So Elijah, who you've probably heard of, Elijah was a prophet mm-hmm. who was sent to what's called the Northern Kingdom. So a few years prior to this, 
the kingdom of Israel um, split in half. And so you had this group who rebelled against Jerusalem and the temple and, and a, a pretty nasty king who was actually ruling over things. And they decided to go north and 10 of the tribes broke loose and they decided to start their own kingdom and they found their own kings and they started another temple and they've ordained priests and it, it all got pretty jacked up up there. And in the midst of this really bad situation where there's a lot of sin, there's rejection of God, they rejected the covenant, all seems lost. And in the midst of it, there comes this guy named Elijah. And Elijah is living in this culture where Elijah is convinced that he is like the only righteous person left on earth. There's nobody left. It's just him. And it's it's actually a pretty rough story. And he goes through some pretty dark times. It's actually the life of Elijah where we get... um, if you've ever heard of the concept of the dark night of the soul and the dark night of the senses, St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila tapped into the life of Elijah to, to develop that theology because he just goes through dark times because he's surrounded by this culture that's just just a mess. But God yeah. calls him in the midst of that messy culture to, to be kind of the lone light, which is, it's a neat, I mean, it's a neat story. It's a neat message because it's this reminder that no matter how dark things get, there's always a remnant. There's always a... There's always a light that God will send in, into a dark world or a dark, dark culture. All is never lost, which is kind of the, the message Elijah needs to hear himself, even as he is that person who's the light. So it's a neat story. And where we jump into it here, he's asked to do a number of, of kind of weird things. And in chapter 17, he's told to go uh, basically stay with this woman, this woman um, in a place called Zarephath. It's the story of the woman, the, the widow at Zarephath. And it's this really interesting story. There's this woman who's really down on her luck. She's widowed. She has one son. She's, um, you know, she's she's in a real poverty. She's she doesn't have any food, and she's she's kind of on the. Let's see. Let me let me catch myself up in the text here. It starts out in the beginning of chapter 17, just to kind of put us in context. Um, she's just down on her luck, and she hardly has anything left. She's kind of on her, her last is it, food. Is, isn't she the one who has just like a little well, bit of uh, oil and a little bit of flour yep, left? That's exactly. And, I was trying to find the verse. It's verse 12. She says, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And she says, I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son so that we can eat it and die. Dude, that's like the saddest it's, thing ever. I mean, like, but that's worst. like a single mom trying to figure it out, you know? See, well, she's given up. I mean, she's done. She's like, we're going to eat this meal. That's all we have. And then I'm going to die. And then we're going to die. And guess what Elijah says to her? Do you remember this? Yeah, make me make me a cake before you do anything. <laughs> He's like, well, make me some. So, yeah, he, he actually begins by saying, don't be afraid which is always kind of a marker in scripture that, that God is at work. Mm. So he says, don't be afraid. Go home, do as, you, do as you said. But first, I want you to make a small cake of bread for me and then bring it to me, and then you can make something for yourself. I mean, remember, this woman, she's got nothing. She's going to make the last bit of her food so that she can go die. It's not the one you want to be kind of, you know, mooching food off of. But but Elijah is, is <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's called yeah. by God to go do this this thing, and, and he's going he's gonna to show this sign. And so she, the the beauty of this, I mean, here's what's so, it's beautiful. The story of Elijah is great, but I love the story of this woman because guess what she does? She does exactly what she said, what he says. She trusts. Now, here's what's interesting. The widow is there. Actually, listen to what what she says here. Um, Bring it to me. Blah, 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 blah. So, so here's what Elijah says. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will be, will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day that the Lord gives rain on the land. So there, we're in the midst of a, of a famine, by the way, up in the northern part of Israel. Drought. We're in a drought. 
So there's no food in the land. There's been no rain, partially because actually a couple chapters earlier, Elijah commanded that there be a drought actually as a punishment and a warning to this really evil king named Ahab. Um, so he's commanded this drought and things are, things are messy, but here's what's profound about this. Okay. So the widow okay. go, do, goes and does what Elijah says. She bakes him the cake, but here's what's crazy. She's actually not an Israelite. She's not a member of the, of the house of Israel. She's oh, really? a non Hebrew apparently. Maybe she's he man, and and how do we know that? How do we know that? Because of uh, I mean, well, because Tyre and Sidon were generally not converted. I mean, are are we in the, are we in the post um, the separation of the tribes where we got the ten in the north yep. and the two in the south? Yeah, exactly. So Elijah's kind of yeah. on his own up in the north, but that's not why we know that. We know it because Jesus actually says so. So in there's a there's a cross reference to this um, in. The Gospel of Luke, which is the same place our our gospel comes from, and in Luke chapter four, verse twenty four. Remember, there's this uh, line that Jesus says. He says, "No one is no prophet is accepted in his own country." Remember that line of Jesus? Yes, of so course. It's, it's Luke chapter four, and then he goes on to say, "Truly, I say, no prophet is acceptable in his own country." But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heaven was shut for three years and six months, there was this great famine on the land, and Elijah went to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And so the only reason we know that is because Jesus says, guess what? Elijah didn't go to an Israelite. He went to to an outsider to work this profound miracle. So it's kind of a cool kind of connecting the dots here. But what you're seeing here, I mean, the reason that's important is because this widow, who's not a part of Israel, she's not really a believer, is the only one who's willing to trust the one true God. Israel won't listen. Israel won't trust. But this woman will, which is just really, really cool. And so... Yeah, that's a a warning sign to us who are believers. Like, you, you have to... You have to watch yourself because the one who is open and willing to follow yeah. God is the one who gets to be with the Lord versus this this thing that is just says, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. That's cool. Big time. And this is kind of what Pope Francis has been saying, isn't he? I mean, he's been giving these messages. Don't don't neglect the atheists. Don't look. Don't forget about the outsiders. God is doing great good in them. We need to, you know, we need to acknowledge that and we need to, to evangelize them and think about which them. is the best. It's yeah. so encouraging. Yeah, totally. And so that, that's kind of our setup for this story. And then the story kind of moves on and we get to this point in the story where the woman's son becomes sick and he becomes very ill and um, he's, he's at the point of death and Elijah works this miracle and, and basically raises him from the dead, which is profound. Okay. And that's going to be the which, major yeah, connection cool. point with the gospel because Jesus does the same thing. But the, the reason, I mean, the, the thing to really remember about this is that Elijah is a prefigurement of Jesus. Everything Elijah does... Jesus is going to do big time. Actually, in the story of Elijah, here the story of Elijah, and we've talked a little bit about this, Elijah is going to kind of go on. He's going to go through this ministry. And at the end of his life or at the end of his time, you know, as he is just, he's kind of ready to give up by the end. He's like, okay, there's, this is great. God has worked these miracles, but nobody cares. Nobody believes. Nobody's listening to this. There's just deaf ears. And God gives him this great gift at the end of it by giving him this person named Elisha who actually is going to kind of carry the torch, and he's going to be this disciple of Elijah. And Elisha is going to do double everything that Elijah does. 
So Elijah goes to this this woman, this widow who's got big problems. Elisha is going to go to a widow who has double the problems that this one does. Elisha is going to raise two people from the dead, where Elijah raised one person from the dead. He's going to do all these doubles. And there's this parallel between Elijah, who is kind of a, a really a prefigurement of John the Baptist, the one who is preparing the way, and then Elisha, who is the prefigurement of Jesus, who does these profound things. So Elisha is preparing the way for a prophet who's greater than he is, just as John the Baptist prepares for a prophet who's greater than he is. So all these things are kind of pointing us toward the gospel and pointing us toward Jesus. It's a neat story. I, yeah, it's 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 interesting. But I, I actually I, I would I would say that um, in some ways when we are looking at how the disciples are reacting to Jesus, I think that they're actually seeing Elijah in Jesus more than they are in John the Baptist. I think that what we can see in the paradigm of yeah, I agree. of John the Baptist and Jesus is that you're seeing Elijah, Elisha, but but in reality we actually have Jesus as Elijah, and then the church is actually Elisha, is Elisha, oh. is that we're actually drawn up into the spirit of Jesus and that we're wow. actually called to do double what the Lord's work is, which is is, cool. is what entering into the kingdom of heaven is. Cool. That's a really, yeah, that's a great insight. Because, because when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? They don't say Elisha, they say Elijah. Yeah, you're right, they do. That's true. And so, so they're seeing the form and the pattern but, here, but even though, but so that's actually what the cool thing is, is we can actually see if John the Baptist is Elijah, Jesus is Elisha, then we actually double and then yeah. we're quadrupling and then we have the four marks of the church. And that's the story of Acts of the Apostles, isn't it? I mean, it's the apostles all doing double what Jesus actually did through the power of Jesus, through his grace, but, but that's the story. That's cool. Yeah. Now I was trying to make sense of the. There's a like a weird part of this one where like Elijah like he's what does it say he's oh, he like yeah. um he stretched himself upon on out upon the child three times and called out to the Lord. I was trying to deal with that, and the only thing that I could come up with is <laughs> you, you do you know you do outdoor um, education adventure education and formation of the soul through it. I do, and you know that when somebody has serious hypothermia, you don't warm them up any other way but then you like the way that you do it is that you actually get next to them and you get human bodies close to the person who has hypothermia because right. human human heat is actually going to be the best yes. way to revitalize which is what it appears like that he's doing isn't it oh, i'm sorry you, you the skype blanked out oh Tell i just said say that that, but that's what appears that he's doing doesn't it? i mean that's what it is looks it, like to me as somebody who knows hypothermia and stuff that it, it looks like he's trying to transfer his body heat to this guy that's that's what i'm thinking too and I, I mean i wonder if it was if if because the rain came oh no the rain hadn't come yet never mind so no, not I wonder yet. if it's hot or cold i don't know not yet but i mean so <clears throat> if i'm just looking at this i'm seeing you know knowing medical techniques I, i'm seeing that's what elijah looks like he's doing but as soon as he does that he cries out to the lord oh lord my god the life and the breath return to the body of this child and the fact that he prayed i mean he, he's kind of doing this thing, which might be almost going through the motions of, you know, this is sort of how you transfer body heat and how you work to restore it. But that's not really where he's putting his faith. He's just kind of doing it. He's putting his faith in his prayer and the words of the Lord who's going to come and, and do this. So it's almost like he's kind of going through the motions, um, doing yeah. the work, but then trusting in his prayer. It's a weird, it's and kind of a weird he, scene. He, yeah, and he has compassion, which is cool. He says, "Will you afflict even the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son?" He's like, "Come on, Lord." Elijah's great because he really gets frustrated a lot. 
I mean, he's just real, <laughs> isn't he? He a lot of times he's just like, "What is going on? What is wrong with you, God?" But uh, <laughs> the Lord always comes through. <laughs> but 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 he does it always in out of a space of faith, yeah, right, and not exactly. out of just going like shut down. No, no, it's always a, because he expects the Lord to answer him. He's like, "You got to tell me what's going on here because this doesn't make sense." Yeah. Dude, it's good Dude. stuff. Now, how do you're you're my Psalm expert, I know, I man? It. So I, talk I to me you. about how I got the you hooked fits up, man. I got stuff. you hooked up. So if you so this is Psalm 30, and the response is, "I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me." Um, and it talks about at the very very end, it talks about changing my mourning into dancing. And so there's the connection point of you know mourning to dancing, you know death and 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 resurrection and things like that. But this is Psalm 30, and the way that Psalm 30 begins is by saying a Psalm of David a psalm sung at the dedication of the house of David. So if you go back to the very beginning of Psalm 30, its own title is a psalm by David to be sung at the dedication of the temple building. That's kind of cool. But the time that this psalm was actually probably most commonly read in history is on the Feast of Hanukkah. And it's actually in the Jewish liturgy of the Feast of Hanukkah. Do you remember what Hanukkah celebrated? Do you recall? No, I don't. It's the Feast of Lights, but it's, it's slipping lights. my mind. It's the Feast of Lights where the, the candles burned for 12 days, and the, or for eight days, and that, that's for good. But, but what Hanukkah is doing, it's celebrating the day that the temple was regained. So remember the story of Maccabees? The Jewish people yeah. were struggling under the, the Greek Empire who had made it illegal to be Jewish and, and had taken over the temple. And Judas Maccabeus and his brothers, they regain the temple. They get it back and they basically resurrect it and they rededicate it. And as the temple is being rededicated and basically resurrected from the dead, they sing this psalm. And so this is a psalm oh. that's commonly sung at basically remembering the resurrection of the dead of the temple. It's coming back to life. And it's jammed in between two stories about people coming back to life. So I, I wonder if there's a connection point in there. Just historically, that's, that's how it's been yeah. used. And, and at nightfall, weeping enters in, but yep. with dawn rejoicing. I mean, like, yep, yep, yeah, yep. all of the heart of that is saying, is, is actually speaking to both the widow and Elijah's experience, saying that the dark night of the soul, that at the end of it, you end up rejoicing that there is right. consolation that will return, like Ignatius would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And that takes us to Galatians. Galatians, as in Galilee, the people who are from that place. No, it's not Galilee. It's Galatia. It's in Galatia? Turkey. It's, Hold a, it's on, Asia no. Minor. It's in Turkey. It's not Galilee. Dude, so, the, so these are a bunch of turkeys? <laughs> that was good. No, no, come on. Did you just set that whole thing up just so you could say that? Yes, I did. Did you really? <laughs> you rot. You rat. Nice work. Uh, well, thanks, here's thanks. here's what I think the connection point is with Galatians. Um, so so basically, with Galatians, this is the very beginning of Galatians. It, it's Paul introducing um, th- this letter. These writings. Galatia. Galatia is actually not one city. It was a it was a a group of towns that formed this church in this. It's a region. Galatia was a region of a number of churches in this particular kind of rural part of of Asia Minor in Turkey, in present day Turkey. And Paul mm. begins this letter by talking about. Um, basically giving his, his autobiography. He talks about, you heard about my, my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church, how I was a zealot for my faith. Uh, but, you know, in my mother's womb, God set me apart. So that what? So he talks about how great of a Jew he was. I, I, I persecuted the church. I, I uh, progressed in Judaism behind anybody. I was smarter than everybody else. I was a better teacher because my God had set me apart. To do what? To go to all of the non-Israelites. 
so I might proclaim him to the Gentiles and not be immediately, and and I did not immediately consult flesh and blood, et cetera, et cetera. So he sets up this whole thing. God has set me apart as an Israelite among Israelites and advanced in Judaism so I could go outside of Judaism, which remember, that's precisely what Elijah is doing. He's called by God to go to the outsiders and to bring them in. And so I wonder if that's what the connection point is for Galatians. I was wondering about that. Dude, that's that's really that's really profound. I want to make a point in the midst of this. Get your point on. Is that um, you know, we we have two evangelizations. We've got the new evangelization. Uh, we got the old evangelization. I was just talking to somebody about this. Yeah, it's it's like you know the the new evangelization is that we're evangelizing Catholics yep. who are fully initiated into the sacraments. So yeah. they are yeah. baptized, confirmed, and first Eucharist. Yeah. The old evangelization is going out to the atheists, to the to the people who do not yet believe in God, to the Buddhists, to the Hindus, to the Wiccans, to the Druids, and to say, no, Jesus Christ is the true solution to and the true answer to all of history and humanity. And so I think it's just important to remember that that um a new evangelization doesn't mean we're doing the old evangelization in a new way. It's actually it actually has as its object a different group of people yes, exactly with new right. means, methods, and zeal. Yeah, exactly right. It, it's funny. I work, you know, my primary work is at the University of Colorado with you, and I have this friend over in Denver uh, who works at a coffee shop who always says, he's like, dude, it's awesome. We always talk about the new evangelization. He's like, but you're actually doing the old evangelization. You're still doing old evangelization <laughs> up in Boulder. And we can't, we can't forget there actually is still an old one to do. And that's, you know, again, that's what Pope Francis tapped into a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, no, we need to... You know, we need to acknowledge these atheists and these outsiders and, and bring them in. Yeah, it's huge yeah. though, because it and becomes a buzzword. On, and you focus on. Yeah. I just the new evangelization becomes a buzzword for us. We're like, oh, it's a new evangelization, but we don't always know what it means. But yeah, it's very nope. specific. Or very Pacific, <laughs> depending on where you live. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty Atlantic of you. Stupid. Uh, That's okay. We're, we'll go to Nain now. How about that? I was trying to think of a pun with Nain, and I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. Oh, dude! I ain't got Nain. So in inane. What? Inane. Don't be inane. Yeah. yeah. Good. That's good. That was a good one. Yeah, it was cool. I just had to name it. I'm sorry. Name it. (laughs) (laughs) Nain. I mean, I. You know that Nain. You can you can make a pun out of anything, brother. I I know I know you can. I just couldn't think quite quack enough, quick enough. Quack. Okay, so here, so we have the second part. We end up in the gospel with uh, Jesus going to Nain. Where is Nain? Nain is a Galilean village about six miles southeast of Nazareth. So I think it's a little. It's did a you little, get that? Did you get that off of Wikipedia? No, dude, I got it out of a commentary. <laughs> okay, I just was checking. It's the Wikipedia for academics. <laughs> <laughs> dude i think that the, i think we we should just use just wikipedia for one time for our podcast just for everything yeah just everything oh. everything that we say just comes straight out of wikipedia you know what we should do every question we have we should just do a google search and then read the first <laughs> thing that comes up <laughs> what is the seven-headed beast of revelation <laughs> it is mtv okay anyway so yeah so name and zarephath it's funny because they're both super obscure places. They're obscure little villages, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And I don't think I don't think either of them are ever mentioned in the Bible again, except in reference to to themselves. So I mean, the widow at Zarephath. The only other time Zarephath is mentioned is when Jesus quotes it 
in in Luke four, and Nain is never mentioned again. So these are these seem like kind of just obscure places, and what appears Weird. to be going on in um, in Luke seven, there appears to be actually a, a funeral procession going on, and they're probably processing with this coffin, and there is probably music, and there's pallbearers and everything else, and and Jesus does this kind of weird thing. So there's this. There was a large crowd um, that was following Jesus, and they kind of run into this other large crowd who's in a funeral procession. And there's once again uh, the only son of a widowed mother. And in the Roman Empire in this period of time, it was a very, very dangerous thing to be a widowed, um, a widowed single person without any children. Because if you're a widow, I mean, technically speaking, in the Roman Empire, the man has the only legal rights to property or wealth or anything. So if you were a widow and you didn't have any children, the state, the Roman Empire, actually had the legal right to come in and confiscate everything you own, which is why the church made such a big deal in the early days about caring for widows, and we need to gather around and we need to we need to do something for them. So this woman, who obviously had a son who could actually kind of protect her, now she's lost her only protection. She's got nothing now. Literally, she's in, in the most vulnerable vulnerable position she could be in. Hmm. And Jesus walks up in the midst of this. Not only did she lose her son, she's probably going to lose everything she owns now. And Jesus walks up, moved with pity, and he says, do not weep. And then he does something super weird. He walks up and he touches the coffin, which is kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's that would be, Dude, it would freak me out. It would be a really interesting. freak anybody out. And all the pallbearers, it says, halted. And he says, young man, I tell you to arise. And then, I mean, I mean just, just the visual picture of this. Imagine a bunch of people p- carrying a coffin, pallbearers, holding it in the air. And Jesus tells this guy to, to arise. And the dead man just sat up and starts talking. I, I love that he sat up and he began to speak. What do you think he was saying? Hey, what are you <laughs> hey, guys everybody. doing? <laughs> Uncle Jack, what are you doing here? <laughs> it's, just, it's just weird. And then Jesus gave him to his mother. And they all glorified God. Um, you know, Jesus is obviously prefiguring what's about to happen. This isn't the first. This isn't the only person he's going to rise from, raise from the dead. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's showing. For one thing, it's showing. You know, Elijah. This is kind of taps into what you mentioned before about the apostles. The apostles, when they're asked who Jesus was, they bring up Elijah because Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. You did not get any better than Elijah. And what Jesus nope. is doing throughout the Gospels is basically just just leaving Elijah in the dust. I mean, he doesn't only just double what, Eli- what Elijah does but like Elisha did. He triples and quadruples, and he just goes so far past Elijah to show, no, look, Elijah was profound, but you have no idea what's coming. I mean, Elijah couldn't raise himself from the dead. And it just, it, it's taking this whole thing to a, to a whole other level. Yeah, and it gives it, it really the whole thing about this the process of the readings today is to help us to trust that Jesus's work and that uh, of the resurrection is trustworthy because the yeah. signs are already saying he has the power outside of himself. Yes. But he is raised up like that and so it's it's trying to inspire us. I mean, that's the kind of the process of ordinary time is yes. to build our hearts up and to believe the work that Jesus did is true and real. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. You know what else is? I think I think this is just my personal thought. I think it's kind of cool. The only line taken verbatim from this passage in Luke back to the passage of the widow in Zarephath is he gave him to his mother. So in both cases, the first thing that Elijah does and the first thing Jesus does is give this risen person to his mother, which just 
Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, as far as the, our understanding of Mary and her role and her place at the cross and all of these things, that particular line, although it seems obscure, it's the only one taken exactly verbatim in both of these stories. He's given to his mother. Yeah, that ins- that inspires me to have a little bit more devotion. It's funny because sometimes my devotion to Mary is very strong, and sometimes it wanes. It just it just yeah. starts to 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 relax. But it's it's through Mary is how Jesus took on the entirety of humanity, yes. all of humanity, so that He could raise up and ascend to the Father and take our humanity, yeah. so that we can participate in the inner dynamic life of the Trinity yes. now and forever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so she's not a side so, note. So, sorry, say that I again? said she's not a side note. I mean, she is fundamental. Yes. Chosen by and, God. And so, so in being given to our mother, it's it's almost saying like, if you go to Mary, then there's this this beautiful gift of Jesus taking up everything that you are. And so it's to Jesus through Mary, and yeah. and 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 then we know and we have confidence that we're participating in the right in the right reality yeah. of. The life of the truth. Well, check this out. I mean, so you got both of these stories. There's a, a person who dies, and when they rise, they are given to their mother. And then you fast forward. You have Jesus who dies on the cross. What does he do while he's dying on the cross? He's not given to his mother. He gives his mother to us. Remember what he says to John? Behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. And so just mm. as these dead people are given to their mother, Jesus, as he's dying, it gives his mother to us, which is yeah, just kind of a neat, kind of a neat image. And yeah, and 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 the death. It's funny because uh, there, there's something in my heart. I can't I can't make it explicit. I'm trying to get the right words. But there's something about the death of this that we're not actually just merely talking about death in the capacity that it's uh, the end of our life, yeah. but death in relationship to sin, because this isn't the end of their lives. These are not people who are in the midst of at the at the end and they're all old. These are young men yeah. who have died, who have been stricken yeah. by this thing that the Lord hasn't intended and yet they're called then you know, to raise up and then to be given back to their mother which is this offering yes. this cycle of offering yeah that's cool it's a good way so of putting we, it we're called out of our sin to be able to be offered with through mary back to the father in jesus yes awesome do do we have any shout outs today we probably <laughs> do you have any shout outs Dude, um, oh yeah, I got a shout out for um, for uh, all the Totus Tuas teams oh, yeah. uh, who are in training around the country, getting ready. Um, uh, particularly Angie Harder and uh, all of her cohorts who have been sending me more text messages than are allowed. Um, I'm just kidding; <laughs> they didn't send me too many text messages. That's all right if they did. But they, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Good luck. You guys are going to be blessed by God as you bring the gospel to the kids. Um, and uh, thanks for listening, Lanky guys. I feel like you guys know me, but I have no idea who you are except for Angie. I know who you are, <laughs> but the rest of you, I don't. That's awesome. Oh, did you ever catch oh, up yeah. with uh, our good friend Joseph down in Florida who wanted to take you to the Magic Kingdom again? No, I didn't see that email. I, yeah, I mean, man. I've been running so hard. I, didn't I think it was see too it. late. He uh, so our friend Joseph is down in Florida, and he was trying to catch you to give you a free trip to either SeaWorld or the Magic Kingdom, if you so desired, because you were down in Florida last week. Dude, I got a four-hour tour of the Magic Kingdom, which is not enough to see anything. That's Oh, no, that was what I wanted to note. He said if we would like to see um, sea animals of great length, he could get us in to see the lanky sea yeah. animals, which I would like to see some sea animals of great length. 
Dude, you and me both. Because I only see the big, the big chubby sea animals whenever I go to sea places. <laughs> so I want to see the lanky well, ones. Well, dude, man. I gotta go, man. Right. I got a, I got a nursing home mask that I gotta do for Get the Golden on. West ladies. Awesome. We'll give a shout out to them, man. Dude, here's to the Golden West ladies. What, what? All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will be back next week, and we will see you then. Hopefully for a very special episode. A very special episode of The Word on the Hill. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.